0: Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 19, and you can follow along on page 10 in your worship folders. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted, where there is no law.
1: Merry Christmas. Right? I mean, like, you hear that and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, wait a minute. What about sugar plums and fairies and St. Nick and stockings full of good things and Christmas bags that have the present that I want? And, like, what, what about that? What about, what about all, the, all the movies that get made where there's joy and peace and, and laughter and frivolity? I mean, Lee, haven't you seen Elf? Haven't you seen these things where it's about sugar and spice and, and like, really? Come on. Well... But as soon as we kind of walk out our door from those places, as soon as the the lights come on in the movie theater from Christmas vacation, as soon as we stop eating all the Christmas biscuits and realize that our New Year's resolution yet again needs to be to lose five kilos or more, we recognize that the world is not as it is, should be. That there's something that's broken and desperately wrong that there's darkness around every corner of light, that there seems to be pain and agony and suffering, and so to sit back and just for this time, just for this moment, just for this season, put it all aside and believe that everything's happy, happy, joy, joy, and it will work out would be desperately false. And we who gather here are people of the truth. And so we have to recognize what takes place in the grand story of God and his steadfast, loving pursuit to bring us back into whole, right, truth relationship with himself, with our own selves, with all others in the very place that we live. And so what we're doing over Advent is we're telling that grand story. You remember that last week we talked about creation and that creation is more than just good. It's more than all right. It is magnificent and mighty as it should be. And so when God creates the world, we recognize that it is perfect in all its glory and manifestation, that it is ordered correctly, that everything within it is bringing glory and honor to God, that is living in its fullness. And again, we recognize it's not that way anymore. This passage that we're looking at from Romans that Paul writes to the church there, he's letting them know kind of the progression of what's taken place. And he talks a lot about sin and the sin of one particular man. Now we're going to come back to that in just a minute. That one particular man is Adam. So it might be good for us to go back and find out where that happened. Why this one particular man in Adam causes this sin and death and trespass to come into this good world. So if you have your Bibles, grab the Bible in front of you in the pew or your device, you can turn to Genesis 3. It's easy to get there. It's at the front of the book. Genesis chapter 3, we see the story of what's called the fall, or in some newer uh, translations like the contemporary English version, they call it the first sin. Um, It's helpful in some ways. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Eve, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree you shall not eat of any tree in this garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any fruit of the trees in this garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Now just a quick aside, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. She added that as a way of protection. We'll get to what that means in a second. Also notice that Satan's question The serpent's question is, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What did did God say? Don't eat of one tree. The implication that the snake is saying here is God doesn't want you to have anything good. (laughs) There's no tree that you can eat of. That's his implication. right? Didn't God say you couldn't eat of anything? (laughs) Like he doesn't want good for you. That's important to know. He says, no, we we can't touch it lest we die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and no good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband Adam who was with her and he ate. Close scene, the first sin. It's important for us to go back to that place because in this Romans passage, Paul is saying at that moment when that took place, then the good, magnificent, rightly ordered, all-giving-glory-to-God world is broken. And in that moment, that brokenness springs from the heart of man. That brokenness springs from a place of desire that causes Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. See, at the place that they're at, in that moment that this takes place, they are walking in complete, whole, right relationship with God, with one another and the place that they live. They know who they are based on their relationship with God. They know who each other is based on their relationship with God. And they know what they're called to do in the place that they live based on their relationship with God. And that God there has provided all of their needs. They have no want at all. And the serpent says, Isn't there something you can't do? Implying that God is withholding something from them. That there is something that they should be desiring, that they don't know that they should be desiring. And since they've now recognized the problem, they should create the solution in and of themselves. First advertising, by the way. You have a problem, we have the solution. Now buy our product. That's exactly what the serpent does here. And so Adam and Eve look to, pro- to make the solution within their own hearts. Now here's the tricky thing. It looks good, so it's pleasurable. It tastes good and will fill them up. It will give them nourishment. And it will help them in their understanding of life. Don't those all sound like good things? They are. They're absolutely good things. The problem is they take those good things and they make it the ultimate thing for them in that moment. See, they're believing that they cannot do anything outside of having that one thing. The thing that they've been told they can't have. That because they want to solve the problem of what has been created, this thought that there must be something else that we need, they look at that fruit and they say, oh, that will meet our need. Now who was meeting their need before that? God. God. All things were taken care of. They were fully (laughs) cared for and loved. Yet in that moment, they take these very good things, these desires to be filled up, these desires to enjoy life, this desire to be wise and have knowledge, and they elevate it above what God has already provided for them. See, because they could have taken one step to the left and seen a tree that provided fruit that would have been good for them to eat and would have filled them up and pleasurable and probably had a conversation about how it's good that we're not actually eating the tree that we were told not to eat of. How good it is that God has provided us all these things. And they would have had some knowledge. However, in that moment, they decide that the best thing to do in this world that is Perfect, is to do something for themselves, to grab that piece of fruit and take a bite and then share it with one another. And so that's how this brokenness enters in. And so it is for us. So it is for us when we recognize that there are places in our own hearts, in our own lives, where we have desires to be made whole. We have the desire to be known. We have a desire to know. And all of those things are very, very good. But it is when we recognize or forget that God is the source of those things, and we begin to make effort on our own to accomplish what only God can accomplish, that is when sin breaks in. I would dare say that in most of our lives, if we were to take an honest assessment of those things that trip us up, those missing the marks, those missteps, if we really took, a moment to look at them outside of their external actions. But within the deep heart motivation of why we move there, it would be a desire for something good, yet believing that we cannot get it from God for some reason, and so we move to get it from ourselves or someone else or something else that the brokenness that resides in the world, the conflict that comes is because we don't trust that God is who God says that he is and that we are who God says that we are. That God has said to us, you are created in my image and I have created you for relationship with me so that I can provide everything that you need. And we doubt that. And in doubting that, we will search and seek out things that seem to fulfill us for a moment, but ultimately take us into bondage. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But then we get to this passage in Romans. And in this moment where we look and hear Paul saying that, in fact, when Adam sins, it breaks the world. Now, some commentators and people will look at this passage and biblical scholars and say, no, Adam sinned, but that gave the ability for people to sin. And so that we're not under any sort of obligation because of Adam's sin. It's our own hearts that sin. Your own hearts do sin. But what Paul very clearly says when we look at the Greek, when we look at the the grammar that is here, when we see what types of verbs that he's using, when we see all of Scripture and pour it into this and look at the whole story is that in fact it is Adam who is sinning and we get brought into that sin. Poor Adam. Now what's great about that is we could blame him then. See, it's really not my fault, God. It's not my problem that I want to look for solutions outside of you. It's Adam's fault. But because it's Adam's fault, we then can see what God is doing. God is moving in a direction to say, yes, it came in because of one man, but because of one man who is Jesus Christ, it overcomes that. It's saying that, yes, you are not at fault in the sense that it is you who has made this brokenness happen, but it is also not you who can save yourself. You see, God presents the solution for us even in the one who sins. Right? One sins one saves. The solution is present because God knows he is the only one who can solve it. That when this brokenness happens, when the wholeness of creation, the good, is tainted, he's the one who has to remake it to make it right. And so he does that through Jesus. And we see here Paul comparing the two He lets us know that in verses 15 through 17, he says, look, this free gift from Jesus is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace in the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to more. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following these many trespasses are brought by justification. That God takes this brokenness and remakes it, that's why we can stand in hope. But it also, because we are in that hope, gives us the ability to have an honest look at our own hearts. We can all, within our own strength, almost always stop ourselves from doing something that we know is wrong. When it begins. The external that is coming from the heart. That place where we're thinking, I want this to solve the problem of my heart and I'm going to move towards it. With sheer determination and willpower, many of us can accomplish that. But that does nothing for us because our hearts have not changed. Because our desire to be the solution remains. And our identity gets built on the fact that I've overcome this and I've overcome this. And this used to be a besetting sin, but I no longer have that problem. Aren't I great? And our hearts turn in on itself so ever slightly so that pride arises within us and we begin to judge those who are around us who aren't quite strong enough to overcome the stuff that they're dealing with. But God says in this passage, no, you can't solve it. Only I can. And more than that, I By Jesus Christ in his sacrifice. And so that's why when it's Christmas time, we have the ability to look towards a baby. A baby who, by the way, when he came in on the scene, things weren't all that great. A baby who, by the way, because of his birth, caused the death of many, many children. A baby who, by the way, had to flee with his parents from his homeland. Merry Christmas. But it's because of that baby that we're able to move towards hope knowing that this brokenness is not the truth. That those things that beset us, we can overcome because Christ has overcome them. And that when I see my externalness getting better, I must look and see that my heart is being turned towards God more so, so that I can be good the way God created it to be. And that only happens through Christ. How many of you know the octopus um, mural that's on the naval store? on Canning Highway as you're coming across Sterling and you see it. When when we first moved here, that thing, it, it was awesome. And it was one of those things that you could take a picture of and you could send it to people in the States and they'd be like, that's really cool. And you'd be like, yeah. And so when people would come, you would drive by it and you would point it out and make sure that they saw it. And it I mean, it was, it's lovely. And about two and a half years ago, somebody decided to graffiti on it. Now, the first graffiti artist who did it was paid to do it. His name was Flynn, by the way, uh, just to give him credit. And they painted on it, this purple kind of paint, all over it. And, and you look at it, and you're like, why would somebody do that? That's a great piece of art. That's, and it's just this purple, like, splashed paint all over the place. Now, I don't know where Phlegm is. I don't know if he's still doing things. But it's clear that the city of Fremantle did not want to pay for Flim to come back over here to recreate the octopus. Because what they did is they took black paint and just painted like this. Just leave the purple, guys. But they wanted to make it better. And so they took... Black paint. And so now when you drive by it, it's like um, the octopus is uh, in protective witness care and they're trying to hide parts of it, censor it with these black dots. And it's just not quite what it was. But see, had they gotten phlegm over the creator of it, he very well could have made it as it was. When God saw the brokenness of the world, the spread of paint that was our sin through Adam, he didn't just want to blot it out. He didn't just want to make it look okay. He wanted it to be good again. The way that it was meant to be. And so even in our sin, God was working to make us whole and good in him and so the creator came to do just that work and it makes us his lovely mural giving him glory and honor and praise let me pray father if there's anything from you in these words today we ask that they burn up if they did not come from you lord let them go away but if there's something that is from you, let it take root in our hearts so that we can give you glory and honor and praise and that we can do the good things that you've laid out for us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand.